Totally Football Show in a festive mood today with the title race written off already like my letter to Santa asking for a proper title race the arrival of the sack bringing better games for Palace and West Ham and repeated showings of the Potters and their dreadful spell on the TV we'll have a look at all of that salute Real Madrid Kakar Hearts and Udinese test Italian football knowledge find out who's everyone's favourite player to watch have a rummage through the relegation picture and pick through the midweek League Cup fixtures that's the Totally Football Show it's the most wonderful time of the Monday. Who's in today then? Ian McIntosh. Hello. Hello, Ian. Uh, Ian Irving. Hello. Hi, Ian. Ooh. And uh, Chris Powell. Hello. Hi, Chris Powell, <laughs> Charlton Derby South End legend. <laughs> Many years ago. Well, you've had a busy and storied career thus far. Mm. Uh-huh. Um, I've got many questions to uh, to ask you, actually. But thanks very much for joining us. Are you, at the moment, are you involved, are you affiliated with the Spurs organisation? Yes, I am. Uh, it's a little bit ad hoc, to be honest. It's uh, a scouting role, and it's just to keep me busy and entertained at the weekends. Right. And uh, it certainly has. I've w- watched some good games, some good players, and some not-so-good players. So, um, yeah, I'm involved watching players and sending in reports, but it's not a full-time Gig, I'm still looking to become a manager and coach in the future. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, well, should we start with Spurs? Because absolutely, that, that was pretty big game. That one. It was their turn for a spanking. You know, mm. they were the next one of the the other top six teams lined up outside the headmaster's office. In they went. <laughs> what was it? Four one in the end. Could have been more. It could have been more. Should have been more, Ian. Well, a missed penalty straight away, yeah. yeah. Should have been more just based on that. I've watched Tottenham a few times now in these sorts of matches this season and I think every single time they've completely and utterly disappointed me. Um, In terms of Manchester City at home, I've done a few matches there recently where teams have come and parked the bus, shut up shop, whatever it is, and it really annoys me that people say, well, they should be having a go because when you have a go... That's what happens. Mm. That's what happened to Tottenham this weekend. They are probably one of the best equipped sides to play against this Manchester City in that sort of manner, on the break, high pressing, and they got absolutely battered. Mm. Any kind of approach, Man City have dealt with it. And I think one of the impressive things this weekend was the fact they did it without David Silva. Chris, did you see the game? I did indeed. Being a Spurs fan, boyhood Spurs fan, I was watching it through my fingers because... Spurs were caught between two stools, really. They they wasn't sure whether to park the bus or actually really go for it. And when they went for it, they got opened up. And when they stayed deep, they got opened up. So they were caught in between. They were missing Sanchez Mm. and Alderweireld, who are two key players. If you're going to City, you need your strongest defenders to at least try and eke out a point. But City City are missing a couple of defenders Mm. of their own. But Daniel Storey making a similar point in... In Football 365, where he says uh, Guardiola attracted criticism for describing Tottenham as the Harry Kane team, maybe the Toby Alderweireld team would have been more accurate. Because <laughs> his absence has kind of coincided with this colossal slump in, in mm. its Spurs fortunes. Yeah, I'll tell you what, when, when Tottenham's composure goes, it really, really goes. I mean, that, uh, that, that mistake for, I think, the fourth goal was appalling far below the standard you'd expect of Tottenham and the indiscipline on the pitch. I mean, Deli Alley and Harry Kane, both quite fortunate to stay on the pitch, I think. There was a lot of surprise that David Silva uh, wasn't in the starting lineup. You were so upset because he's your favourite player that you turned and left the stadium immediately. <laughs> in disgust, yeah. In disgust. Yeah, I wasn't so good, uh, shall we say, pre-match at the Etihad at the weekend. When you say my favourite player, I need to put that in context, really. He's my... 
having worked in in Manchester um, covering football and Liverpool for for the best part of a decade he's been my favourite individual to watch in terms of the way that he now is showing numbers Mm. which which to me now he's sort of giving people uh, a clear reason to understand what he's doing I just think he's like a metronome he just keeps things ticking over his balance his ability to to change direction um, he, he doesn't give the ball away De Bruyne has been getting the the plaudits and rightly so the headlines for some of these incredible passes that he's making. But David Silva's consistency in his pass, his movement, his intelligence, the way he, the way he positions himself, the way he's reinvented himself, and the biggest thing for me is really aggressive. He doesn't get ni- anywhere near enough credit for how ag- aggressive he is. And I was speaking recently to Vincent Company previewing one of the matches just after Silva had signed his new contract, and he said that the first day in training. They all looked at him and he was this short lad with, with long hair, just, just landed from Valencia. And they all thought, oh, he's going to get pushed around a little bit. And for the first few weeks, he did. But then after that, he's turned into what you'd probably describe as a little terrier. And I, I just that endears him to me only, just that little bit more. Magnificent. Chris, do you, do you have a favourite player to watch? I love watching Wilfred Zaha. Do you? I actually feel, um, I know he's had a go at, being at a top six club hmm. and I think the circumstances at the time were not conducive to seeing him really show his real talents but at Crystal Palace he is the go-to man he right. is the top player for them we'll, we'll talk about Palace in a second I'll, yep. I'll, I'll, I'll pick up on that if, if I may um, just for now oh, go on then Tony Hibbert is it Ian? no uh, we're talking present players, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, Adebayo Ekafemwa at Wickham. Okay. Who, every time you look at him, we were talking about this on the league show, it's, <laughs> it's like that bumblebee thing where bumblebees technically shouldn't be able to fly. Right. Despite his, his formidable frame, yeah. he's actually, at his level, one yeah. of the most effective footballers in Europe. Mm. He's been involved in so many goals. He's in the uh, leading goal scorer chart and the top assist chart. All right. He's one of the most effective players um, in League Two, and Wickham pushing hard for promotion. All right. Um, so it's always a joy to watch him play. OK. Who's the better passer in this Man City team, Kevin De Bruyne or Edison? <sighs> well, De Bruyne, yeah, but Edison is phenomenal, isn't he? Yeah. I mean... Do you, I remember um, Manuel Neuer at Bayern. I think he said of himself that if he was an outfield player, he would be kind of in the third division quality, that he could play professionally third division football, Bundesliga dry. I mean, Edison, where would he, what kind of team would he get into? Well, Manchester City's midfield if they have an injury crisis, I guess. Um, wow, that would be amazing. Well, Wouldn't that if, really mess everyone up? If Pep Guardiola gets bored, he's going to have to do something to keep himself entertained, isn't he? So why not sort of turn Edison into a central midfielder? I think, actually, just on this, to be serious for a moment, mm. um, a lot of question marks were placed and a lot of eyebrows raised when Edison was signed for City in the summer, including within the hierarchy at City as well. A few of the a few of the um, decision makers weren't completely aware, stroke, completely sold on the idea of signing him, especially after they'd bought Claudio Bravo the year before. But already we're seeing exactly why, aren't we? And yes, he's a very able goalkeeper. Yes, he makes great saves. He organises the defence. He's brave. Uh, it comes to claim things that other keepers sort of look at and stand back at. But he offers a really key tactical option for Manchester City which you saw against Tottenham if a team wants to go and do that and press high up the pitch especially from goal kicks he's quite willing to just smash the ball 70 yards over everyone's head to players who have purposefully positioned themselves Mm. in offside positions which of course aren't offside from goal kicks and ordinarily 
keepers have got no chance of making it, but but Edison does, and and that's been a big difference and for City some of the, as well. Some of the distribution, which is a, a really boring term, because it's audacious the the range of of, of passing that he uh, he's certainly displayed against is, Spurs. Is he saying they play long balls? <laughs> yeah. I am. Can I can I just I am, say, yeah. Man City have got history with playing keepers on the pitch. They did it with David James. Up front, yeah, yeah. they didn't. So yeah. whether, whether they've won the league maybe a few weeks before the end of the season, well, the way it's going, they might win it in February, but Edison might, might come onto the pitch. His distribution is one of the missing links from last season. Mm. Bravo didn't have that. He was comfortable with the ball at his feet, but he didn't make the saves. Edison makes the saves, but as Ian quite rightly said, his distribution from the back on the high press basically passes the high press and puts them on the attack. It's It's... Quite amazing, really. Mm. Quite amazing. If, if I can join this love in as well, it's his, <laughs> his movement as well. If you've got both centre backs in the opposition half, you need your goalkeeper somewhere out of the penalty area. Yeah, he's so confident in that, and he's doing all this in his first season in the league, where we've been brought up to understand that you need a season to settle in, and he's already at top level. He's scary, scary. Um, what's the? By the way, there's a, there's a lot of talk in the last day or so about Man City preparing a new contract for Pep Guardiola, mm. trying to establish some kind of dynasty. And there, Pep's kind of noted for his willingness to stick his hat on and move on when when his work is done. What, what do you think, Ian? Is he likely to be staying beyond his three years? I'm not sure. Um, I think if you if you ask Manchester City fans, players, um, staff, um, officials, owners, every single one of them, having seen what they've seen so far, certainly this season, maybe not last season, but certainly this season. Um, it's like asking children, do you want an extra scoop of ice cream? You know, there's there's absolutely no way they'd turn it down. Mm. Whether he will or not, I don't know. Um, okay. People better placed than me, having witnessed Barcelona and Bayern Munich, say that the intensity of his work means that he ends up extremely tired. And he's said many times already that this is the most difficult challenge he's had in his managerial career. Certainly, the things he learned last season, it was the steepest learning curve, he said, in his words, that he's had so far. So, based on that, mm. um, if he lasts more than three years, he's obviously adapted better to the, the scenario of the intensity than in the past. Who can stop Man City? Well, there's probably only one team. and We'll be talking about them after this. Listeners, our partnership with Paddy Power helps to keep this podcast free. And speaking of free, when you join Paddy's Rewards Club, every time you place five bets of £10 or more on any sport in a single week, Paddy will give you a free £10 bet the following week. Sign up now at paddypower.com. T's and C's apply. Max £10 bonus per person per week. Specific odds required. Exclude shops and cashed out bets. 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Yeah, if Pep's going to record a record, record-breaking season and match his 19 wins in a row at Bayern, he needs to beat Bournemouth at home, Newcastle away, and then make a trip to Selhurst Park. And that's the thing. That's the team, Chris Powell, mm. where it's all going to come unstuck. Inside the far post, writing in today, says, does anyone else have Man City's trip to Palace on New Year's Eve pencilled in as where their winning run might skid to halt? Yes, inside the far post, I have. It's New Year's <laughs> Eve. Strange things happen around that time of year. And it's this incredible Roy Hodgson Palace. How good are they, Chris? They have really picked up as a as a team, as a unit. I've managed to watch them uh, three or four times this season. And uh, 
they have some very, very good players. They're, they're playing in a 4-4-2, which many people might say is old-fashioned, but it's how they do it. Um, and, and the players who are key to that working, which is Loftus-Cheek and Zaha, without a doubt. Zaha is their kingpin. And um, if he turns up on New Year's Eve and they play to their full capacity, as you say, stranger things have happened. I can't see it personally, the way Manchester City are going, but uh, Palace at Selhurst is quite a different proposition with the fans. Yeah, Chelsea um, discovered that, didn't they? Absolutely, they did. And um, the luck is just going into their fate. And they're working hard to to earn that luck. They've had the Benteke affair, Mm. which... um, was quite a, a, a unique situation, uh, but they've dealt with that. He's now scoring. Zahar is scoring and, and producing, and um, that would be an intriguing game. It Re- really will be, but I can't see it. I, I think Manchester City, um, no matter who plays in their 11, they're going to find a way to win. We'll talk on January the 1st. In. Yeah, I could <laughs> see it happening. I could definitely see it happening. Um, complacency is a big problem for Man City now. It's going to be really difficult to keep that intensity up for every game, particularly when it's such a big gap. And when everyone in the media is saying, yeah, it's done, title race is over, when bookies are paying out, to keep on doing that, particularly against a team like Palace, who can really kill you on the break. Mm. Um, you know, I'm not sure if I'd be confident to put money on it, but I can I can certainly envisage it. Are you quite happy just to say some words? And, yes, yeah. always <laughs> happy to fill silences. <laughs> Palace, Palace coming off the 3-0 win this weekend away at Leicester. Uh, something of a surprise given that they hadn't scored in their previous 10 matches on the road and Leicester were in absolutely terrific form. I did not see this coming. No, I don't think Leicester did either. No. Um, they've been doing great. But Benteke redeeming himself. Mm. Um, apparently in the dressing room, everyone's been quite cool about it. I'd imagine they weren't initially with him missing that penalty. Because had he not missed that penalty, Palace would be 12th now. Right, I'm as not, opposed to... 14th. 14th. Which is already pretty impressive. Mm. Um, so if you've got Benteke there, you've got a physical edge to the attack to go with the pace and invention of, of Zaha. So you've got multiple ways to hurt people. And, and that's what they did to Leicester. Leicester, very flat. Mm. I you think, were, sorry, sorry I was going to say, I think Roy Hodgson should get some credit for mm. the way he's handled uh, the aftermath of the Bournemouth uh, penalty fiasco and then the Watford game where they were poor, um, but scored two in the last, what, four minutes of the game. And then they go to a Leicester side who put aside Southampton in the week. I mean, it could have been eight. Um, but then no Okazaki, who was key to that. Uh, no Andy King, who scored as well. And they just looked flat, Leicester. Mm. And Palace took full advantage. And Hodgson, we know what happened with him with England and Iceland. Uh, but to redeem himself at his age, um, to come back and have that zest and put in... I mean, Palace were in an absolute mess. Yeah. I mean, they just didn't know what they were doing. To gamble on Roy and, and okay, the season's not over yet, but he's just given them a bit of balance, a bit of know-how. People always talk about organisation, but I think it's just him. And sometimes he doesn't get the credit he should deserve after all these years of managing in Italy and Switzerland and in Scandinavia. He's just brought calmness to a decent squad. Will he be able to hang on to Zaha? You were talking before about you know, he deserves a, a chance mm. at a bigger club and he's he's such a talent. He's not cup-tied. You've got a January <laughs> transfer window coming up. I'm wondering if uh, if the rumours, are they already flying, Ian? 
about Wilfred Zaha. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they're flying, but they're uh, they're simmering under Are the they surface. Simmering? Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, obviously, we know we Chris talked about it before a little bit. We know how it went for Wilfred Zaha at Manchester United. So I think with with clubs now looking towards him, they'll have to bear that situation in mind. Um, obviously, he was Sir Alex Ferguson's final signing at United, and and actually never worked with him because of his retirement. So I guess that was a a pretty significant factor. Mm. Um, there were other other factors, I'm sure, but um, he's a few years older. He looks a better footballer now than before. Um, he looks like a more mature How old person is he now? than before. He's 25, 26. Right, okay. Prime. A good age, mm-hmm. as they say. Um, <laughs> but like Chris was saying before, you know, he's almost carrying Crystal Palace's hopes at the moment. I wouldn't say single-handedly because, again, we sort of talked about some of the other key personalities in that team as well. And I'm really intrigued, actually, about Loftus-Cheek. I mean, how, mm. how good do you think he could be, Chris? Well, he's, he's playing out of position. He's playing sort of wide right or wide left, um, but very narrow. Um, it's not his natural position. Over the years, I've watched him for, for Chelsea's 23s and... Um, he's always been a, a number 10 or a, a central midfielder. So Roy has got to have some credit for cajoling him to playing in that role out of position. Um, a real talent, obviously played very well for England in his debut. Mm. The thing with Wilfred Zaha is I can't see him at the two Manchesters. I can't see him at a Chelsea. I can't see him at a Liverpool. So I can only really see him at Arsenal or Spurs. Mm. And... I know Palace, it would have to be north of 50, 60 million. I don't think they're going to pay that. So I can see him staying through January till the end of the season at least. Right. Um, obviously, if Palace go down, different proposition then. But um, no, I can see him staying. Yeah, really fair, Arsenal, Arsenal may have a couple of vacancies. <laughs> well, <laughs> they <laughs> certainly will. Yeah, <laughs> yeah very, very true. true. Mm. Um Roy's not the only one turning around a team that was previously struggling because, of course, David Moyes has gone in at West Ham and they had a 3-0 win as well. This one at Stoke. West Ham are now beaten Chelsea, drawn with Arsenal and absolutely monstered the Potters. Clean sheets in all three. Um, how must Slavin Bilic... I'm going to ask this delicately to you. How must Slavin Bilic be feeling now, Chris? For example, when you left Huddersfield... Mm. They were in all sorts of woe down the wrong end of the championship. <laughs> yeah. And whilst on one hand, you must be delighted to see your former team doing well, the people mm. you work with. On another hand, do you feel like, where was that? No, I, I don't. I'll tell you why. Because it's a different situation. Uh, David Wagner came in with the same group of players and they finished 16th, 17th below mm. where I finished. But what happened was he was able to move 12 players out and bring in another 12 players, uh, utilise the, the German market, which he right. obviously knows. Um, they were able to spend money. I never spent a penny. So it's slightly different parameters. So I understand that. I, I get that. Um, so, you know, so it's, it's great. I'm, I'm actually really pleased with Huddersfield because it just shows that it can happen with backing um, with coaching, um, so I have no no issue with that. Slaven may be thinking, why didn't Anatovic run as hard for me as he's running now for uh, uh, for David Moyes? Because mm. uh, I mean, it was the Anatovic show really against Stoke. It was I unreal. Love, I'm sorry, Chris. I, I loved his performance against Stoke. It was brilliant. We, we just don't. <laughs> I don't know that these days. You you um, you don't often see that sort of 
character from a player. Uh, it was almost like watching a pantomime yeah. at this sort of season. <laughs> and, you know, he was getting booed. When he missed, the crowd were cheering. He was giving iron signs to the fans. Even Mark Hughes had a go as he went off yeah. the pitch. And, of course, it, inevitably, he, he had to score a goal as well. And it, I, I just thought it was fun. I was literally sat watching um, most of the second half because obviously it got delayed a little bit, just laughing my head off at it. I just thought it was brilliant. Obviously, Stoke fans will, will, uh, will see it differently and I can understand why they would feel that way towards him, um, certainly when he's sort of giving a bit back. But they both sort of gave as, as good as they got and I just thought the whole thing was, was extremely entertaining. Yeah. It, it, there's a point sometimes at a club where you almost want your team to fail because it might hasten change. And I wonder if maybe we've now reached that point at the erstwhile Britannia. Well, if you watch the footage of um, West Ham's third goal, um, Sacco, you can actually see Stoke fans applauding it in that really, really kind of aggressive, yeah, yeah, do it again, because it really has gone awful for Mark Hughes. They've conceded um, 39 goals at the halfway point. And surprisingly, they've, you know, they've got the personnel. I know Zuma was missing this weekend, was he not? Uh, yeah, but um, the, it's a decent enough squad. They bought Kevin Vimmer in. Mm. Uh, Butland's back from injury. Yeah. Did, of course, take that um, big punt on Sado Berahino um, that hasn't yet paid off. I still don't think he's actually scored. In fact, I think it may be getting on for two years since he scored. Wow. Um, it just looks like it's gone horribly, horribly stagnant. And Stoke fans have been saying this for a long time, um, only to be told once again that they should be very careful what they wish for. Um, but they're just one point above the relegation zone now with the worst goal difference in the division. They've actually got a worse away record than Palace now. And Palace only scored their first goal away on Saturday. I have a feeling that even though uh, the coach family have reaffirmed their support to Mark Hughes, I think that will be tested this weekend. They have West Brom at home, and anything less than a victory, I think, will be the end of Hughes. Wow. All right. And we'll talk more about uh, the last weekend's games and, and what's in prospect. League Cup quarterfinals, of course, excitingly, uh, very shortly. But after this, it's a trip to the Y World of Football. Ian McIntosh, the title race is back on. Why? Because, OK, go on, tell us why. Because Hearts thumped Celtic. They no did. No one saw that one coming. No, 69 games they'd gone without defeat, 585 days, and they fall to a, a 4-0 thumping, uh, featuring 16-year-old Harry Cochran scoring his first goal for the Jam Tarts. And also, as Michael Schwarzenbach points out, Chris, you'll find this exciting, um, two goals from Manuel Milinkovic, which is interesting because, as you saw, his... I'm not sure how they're related, actually. Sergei Milinkovic scored uh, a brace himself this weekend for Lazio in a very exciting 3-3 draw with Atalanta. It was indeed. I mean, I only caught the last 20 minutes, but mm. it, was, it was a terrific game. Atalanta, as you know, have been a real surprise package this year and they've got a, a real exciting Europa League draw against they have. Dortmund. Borussia Dortmund. Wow. Funny you should mention Borussia Dortmund, Chris, mm. uh, because Peter Stürger has just made it two wins in a week. He Remember has. how they hadn't had a win since like September <laughs> 1983? <laughs> and he's come in having had just one win himself all season and got fired by the bottom team in the Bundesliga and he's just two straight wins. Brilliant. Uh, Bayern Munich are 11 points clear. Because they won, but they only just won. It was 1 0 against Stuttgart's Sven Ulreich, uh, saving a 95th minute penalty. Huh. Uh, in Italy, Inter lost their first game of the season. A lot of the fans pointing to the presence of Eric Tohir, their former owner in the stands. When he arrives, they don't win. 
basically is regarded as extremely bad luck for them. Also bad luck for them was probably the fact that they played midweek, which they're not used to doing. And the fact that Udinese, who feature, of course, Kevin Lasagna, who oh, we all love from yeah. his Carpi days, and he scored, actually, uh, and now being managed by Massimo Oddo. And he's, I think he's had four straight wins since coming in at Udinese, which is a real surprise. Now, you're, you're smiling in an indulgent fancy that way, Ian Irving. But the thing about this is he's another of... You know how you have clubs that spawn a whole generation of managers? Yeah. Juventus would be a prime example. Um, would Man United be one? Maybe not so much. Maybe not so much. But Lazio, Sven Juran Eriksson, bizarrely seems to bequeath the world a truly extraordinary... A bunch... Uh, uh, Johan Cruyff, that's who I'm thinking of. All the, yeah, yeah. there you go. But look, 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 you've got Nesta, who's doing all right. Simeone, who's been pretty brilliant. Roberto Mancini, won a title or two. And Simone Inzaghi, as well as... No, Pippo never was under Sven, but Simone Inzaghi, who's you know, now at Lazio doing great things. You had him for a bit, didn't you, Sven? I did, yeah. yeah. yeah and there's very, another one for the list. Very, oh. yeah. <laughs> well, he's... Uh, thanks for that, yeah. Um... <laughs> He's a very interesting man. Sven Juran Eriksson. Very, very interesting man. I know basically everyone knows him just mainly from the England job, but of course he had sojourns at Manchester City and, and Leicester, but he's uh, he's a very interesting man. I really like Sven. It's an interesting word that you're using, interesting, because it, <laughs> it, it's so kind of multi-use, it's sport, isn't it? Steve really? Davis, isn't it? Yeah. But, um, no, no, because the thing is, he, he, he comes across a little bit like a very high-end dentist or something. <laughs> uh, quite, you know, anaesthetic and, and sterile and all that. But he he's a man who knows how to live, Chris. He certainly does. Yeah. yeah when you're a member of staff, you certainly know how to live when you're uh, spent. Oh, there's no stories. <laughs> <laughs> it's just he takes care of... His staff, he takes care of his players. Uh, he was a fitness fanatic. Was he? Um, which not many people know. He was very good in the dressing room. He's been successful, so he must have something. Yeah. You know, when you look at his record in Italy and, and Portugal. Yeah. Um, I know he's been in China recently. He's well-travelled, um, speaks five or six languages. I mm. mean, he's uh, a very interesting man. He certainly is. Say. certainly is. Uh, in other Italian news, Ian... Uh, you're familiar with Benevento? Yes. Yeah, they lost again. Yeah. <laughs> no change there. Yeah, 17 games they've had now. They've only picked up one point. It was, of course, against uh, Gennaro Gattuso's Milan, who continue to struggle. They did beat Verona in the Cup midweek, but they then went and lost 3-0 to them this weekend. Had Suso sent off. And also, as we probably mentioned, UEFA have said, no, they don't think that their finances add up. Um, so there's trouble in store there. Uh, oh, Kakar's retired. Kakar. I know a lot of people think, hang on, didn't did, mm. he did already? Didn't, no, he didn't. Oh. No, he has just retired now. Uh, Kakar, who was the last man to win the Ballon d'Or before the present duopoly, uh, closed it in their steely grip. <laughs> and and one title's all over. Are you a big fan? Of, here's a question, if you want. Sai Ram says, where does Kakar stand among the pantheon of modern-day Brazilian greats like Ronaldo Ronaldinho? Excuse me, uh, Cafu and Roberto Carlos, or Roberto Carlos, if you want. Um, I don't know, really. Uh, I think he was excellent for a period, wasn't he? Mm. Um, I remember seeing him uh, play for AC Milan against Manchester United in the Champions League. I forget exactly what year it was, but I think he scored twice at Old Trafford. And um, United had a, quite a makeshift defence out 
back then they had a few injuries at the back, but he, he was majestic. And then the return leg was was three nil at the San Siro, I think. And again, he, he he played really really well. But he sort of went to Real Madrid, and I, I don't know really. Yeah. From my sort of conscience, he seemed to get lost from there. Really, I think that's fair. I had one of the best forty five minutes I've seen in ages. Unfortunately, it was at Istanbul in two thousand and five. <laughs> but before half time, he was incredible. Yeah. That might have been the, the same year, actually. 2007, of course, he, he pretty much ran that final against Liverpool, yeah. in, in which Milan exacted some form of, some measure of it's revenge. It's not I, what you I, remember, though, is it? No. no. He's a tremendously graceful player, but I think the, the difference is that he had none of the, the frippery and, and trickery of Honolginia, which is in no way to kind of undervalue the importance of such things, but he was a much purer kind of player, I think, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, yeah. I, I mean, he... he look back on his career and you tend to just remember AC Milan in the main mm. um, the odd top end performance for Brazil um, but for me it wouldn't be up in the the top 10 of the Rivaldos and Ronaldos it, it, it wouldn't be there for me but um, as you say a graceful player elegant had everything that you want for a Brazilian but um, happy retirement Kaka. Was he enough of a character? That, <laughs> is that what our issue is? Because you've named some of these memorable Brazilian footballers right. and they were all um, colourful characters, weren't they? Mm. Many of them Chain were. smoking doctors, that kind of thing. Mm. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. I just wonder whether he was flamboyant enough right. beyond was, the uh, field. He was a Christian, wasn't he? I mean, he still very much is. That, I mean, his, yeah. his retirement announcement is, is Father in Heaven. Mm. What an incredible journey it's been. I'm ready for the next one. Mm. Yeah. With, a, with the trademark "I belong to Jesus" T-shirt. See, I remember that about him as well. Yeah, I remember yeah. that particular T-shirt uh, and the celebration as well. But yeah, he, he certainly didn't get himself in, involved in the extracurricular that that other Brazilian footballers have. So. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Okay, we'll take a little break and then we'll be back with more football. Listeners to footballing podcasts will know that there's enough tough decisions to make these days without having to worry about which razor to use. So why don't you take the hassle out of your shaving routine by signing up with our pals Cornerstone. Never run out of blades, never need to shop again, just let them know how often you shave and they'll take care of the rest. Get £10 off your first order and find out more about your perfect shave box at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. Arsenal. They beat Newcastle 1-0. The goal was scored by Ian. As it is, How good was the goal? The strike has been talked about a lot because it was a pure strike, certainly. But I really, really, really admired far more his positioning for that goal. Because if you watch what happens, as the ball, I can't remember exactly who it came off. I think it was a, a defender trying to clear it. As he's headed the ball away... Mesut Ozil has just taken exactly the right number of steps back hmm. to predict perfectly where that ball is going to fall for him to produce that strike. And I just think that the steps backward are far more impressive than even the strike as good as really? it was. See, I feel, and this is going to be controversial, that I there's no way I could have scored a goal like that, but I could get under it the way that Mesut did. From my time playing Ultimate Frisbee, I'm pretty confident... <laughs> That I would have, I would have read the flight. You've just undone any any sort of credibility that statement had, by the way. <laughs> no, no, it's a different discipline, but the principles. I think I'm right in saying, Chris, are entirely the same. Did you enjoy that goal? Are you a fan of Mesut Özil? I am because he's uh, he's a bit misunderstood sometimes Is for he? me because he's he's graceful. He's a thinker. So as Ian just quite rightly said, he quickly measured and, and thought about what was happening with the ball, the mm. trajectory. 
he could have stayed where he was and it would have been a different type of strike. But to be so measured and clear in his thinking to step back and then attack it the way he did, I mean, that's, that's a mark of a, a very, very clever player. Yeah, beautiful strike. Mm. Beautiful strike. Uh, RM says, what should Arsenal's plan be? For life after Ozil and Sanchez, you've already mentioned Wilfred Zaha in that context. Zaha's knocking about. I mean, it's hard because we don't know what the plan is mm. next season at, at a higher level than that. Right. Um, the the problem with Theo Walcott, <laughs> possibly. Yeah. I mean, Wilshere's well, worked Chris his way your back head into just the team. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Again, I'm being diplomatic. Well, I, I can't believe a top six club has got themselves in this position. I really can't. Um, with Sanchez and Ozil. Not one, but two world-class players. Contracts are running out in seven, six, seven months' time. Mm. Um, so they're devaluing each day. They could have sold Sanchez, possibly. We don't know. I'm sure you may know better to Manchester City. Well, Ian, what, would, yes, they what, could what, have. Was, the, what was the hold-up there? Yes, they could have. Yeah, I mean, both clubs spoke. Uh, there was bids made, but Arsenal decided that it, you know it wasn't enough and it didn't give them enough time to secure mm. a replacement right at the end of the of the, the um, summer transfer window be very interested to see whether the return in January is definitely still on the agenda for them despite the way that their season's been going uh, but they may be they may just be able to wait until the summer and, and get him for free Guardiola spoke in the press conference on Friday right at the very end and gave a very interesting response when asked about whether the return for Sanchez his answer was good question a smile, a quick joke, didn't finish the sentence and walked out. You mm. have to mm. wonder why they would at the moment. Or go for Sanchez. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. A, Sanchez is in horrible, horrible form. He's a shadow of himself. He's obviously really upset, and by all accounts behind the scenes, um, did not take the collapse of that move very well at all. But you also look at City and where they're strong in personnel and where they're weak in personnel. You'd want to put that money on fullbacks and get some cover because Mendy's going to be out for a long time. Um, if they lost Kyle Walker, that that's where they need to spend the money, surely. Mm. If Sanchez ends up at Manchester City, he will be in replace Aguero. <gasps> I do. Such yeah. a thing really cannot do. be spoken yeah. of. He doesn't play him too often. Took him off after 50-odd minutes on Saturday. Um, I know they've got so many games that he will start a game, whether it's midweek or the following week. But I can just see that being um, good business. You know, Sanchez is younger. He'll come in January or at the end of the season on a free. I can see it as good business. You know, Aguero's cult hero status at Manchester City. But moving forward, Sanchez in for Aguero, I can see that happening. I mm. just can't believe Arsenal got themselves in that state. So they've turned down 50 million. Mm. So they won't get anything. What other business does that? I, I just don't get Arsenal's thinking on Ozil and... Aguero. Guardiola has said, actually, um, and certainly from what I know as well, that, that Manchester City are actively looking at centre-backs for the okay. January transfer window. So I think probably for the moment, certainly from, from what's been said so far, that seems to be their priority rather yeah. than Sanchez. But Sanchez for free next summer seems like an absolute no-brainer really, doesn't it? Yeah, it does rather. Second straight start for Jack Wilshire who looked impressive. Meanwhile, less impressive were Newcastle, who have now had eight defeats in their last nine, one point from 27. Uh, and that sort of, tran not transfer, but the takeover business uh, continues to stutter. They are now in the bottom three. As Sean Balmford says, 
It looks like the title has sewn up, but is this going to be the most exciting season for years with a 12-team relegation zone? Who goes down for me? It's Swansea, West Brom and Newcastle, who just happen to be the three who are down there at the, <laughs> the, the moment. And that might well be the case. Who else would you want to throw into that mix? How worried? I mean, even somebody up... And, and you would start, I guess, with Southampton in 12th and drop down from there because everyone from Saints downwards is within a defeat of the bottom as three. You've got Crystal Palace and West Ham roaring their way out of trouble. Um, who, who's your money on, Ian? Well, right now, what you've got to remember is that things can go really bad really quickly. You had Blackpool a few years back who had a fantastic start to the season. And are you, are were, we heading towards Watford with this? Maybe. <laughs> I just want to make that prediction right again. Um, you also had Hull a few years back who I think were fourth at Christmas. Um, and won just a single game in the second half of the season. So pretty much, you'd be probably, even though it has been known, you'd probably say Leicester on 26 points are safe. Everyone else still in it. I did say Watford at the start of the season. I'm fairly sure there's enough there that they won't go down. Mm. What's going on at Watford? Some people have been suggesting, and Chris, I don't know what your take would be on this, that, Mm. that that whole Everton interest in Marco Silva has effectively distracted him enough and perhaps loosened his hold on the, 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 the dressing room to the extent that they've had the, the run, what is it, four defeats in five now for the Hornets. A, a, a tidal wave of ill-discipline. Uh, three red cards in their last three matches. The latest Troy Dooney, of course, in this a 4-1 home defeat to Huddersfield. I think it's fair to say the Everton saga uh, didn't help. But does Silver. that actually impact on, on... It will take his eye off the ball, will it? Well... It can affect him, but also the players because they'll be thinking every day. Well, actually, is he is he going to mm. go? Because initially, he never really dismissed it, um, which I I understand. Sometimes managers say, "No, I'm definitely not going." And then the next week, they're they're parading the scarf of the 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 team, and you know we see it with players. But I fully understand why he uh, behaved the way he did. But it, it's definitely taken an edge off Watford. I mean, they were free-flowing. They were brilliant away from home mm. um, at the start of the season. Uh, Richarlison, for me, was almost the the, the find of the season. Um, but they, they've, they've lost their edge. Um, Troy Deeney, since the Arsenal game, yeah. has just self-imploded. Um, he's been sent off twice. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, the irony, of course, of calling Arsenal out for their, their lack of testosterone, <laughs> to put it in, you know, in other words, but it's his own excess that seems to be uh, the issue. They've got some good players. The centre midfield boy, Dunkuri. Mm, Dunkuri. Yeah, he's, uh, I mean, he looks Vieira-like at times. He scored an outstanding goal against Huddersfield. I mean, that gets forgotten because of conceding four goals, the sending-offs and uh, Huddersfield winning away and scoring away for the first time since start of the season but they're in transition and they need to get to January and knowing the way that club runs they'll they'll bring in a number of players from yeah. various clubs around Europe and rejig their squad and I think they'll be safe but I, I think Ian's right I think it's from nine down I'd expect that, is yeah. that they're always in transition um, they're not a very forgiving club and no. you just think back to Kike Sanchez Flores mm. and the start that he made um, and then he was booted out at the end of the season. I'll, I'll be a little bit nervous if I was Marco Silva. It's the way they like it, though. Yeah. Isn't it? It's the <laughs> way they hedge. like it. And the Watford fans have, have, you know, they've accepted that now. That's the way their club is run. How how impressive, given your knowledge of the club, is what Huddersfield are up to uh, mm. for you? It's a bit strange, really, because before um, the Watford result, I lost five 
out of the last six. Mm. Uh, and you'd think, oh, that's they're, they're struggling here. But what what they have done, they tend to pick up a result just when things may look a bit bad for them. So they they got the Manchester United result out of absolutely nowhere. Um, they beat West Brom. They they've beaten teams where. On paper, they, they feel they've got a chance. So they've beaten Newcastle, they've beaten West Brom at home. Uh, Manchester United was a bonus for them. They hadn't won away. And I, I was thinking if they don't pick up the results at home, they're going to struggle. Mm. But then they go to Watford and it was a very controversial game, actually, when you look at the first goal, the sending offs. But then those three points, coupled with Southampton losing, Brighton on a poor run, um, and Bournemouth and, and Stoke, it just propels them up up the table so um, like Ian said it looks good at the minute right in the middle of the table Um, but they just have to be careful that uh, they don't fall into sort of that that mini slump which a lot of teams have Newcastle are having it now and so are Brighton yeah yeah it's still early, really, isn't it? It's cool. This could go a lot of different ways. West Brom, as you say, very much in that mix. Uh, Saints as well, getting beaten 1-0 at... Uh, at uh, was, was it at... Ch- it was at St Mary's, wasn't it? No, no it was at Chelsea. Chelsea. I was there. Chelsea. I was oh, there. you were there, Chris? Yeah, All right. yeah in my uh, work capacity. Ah, nice one. Who were you having a look at? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Antonio Conte. Oh, yeah? Okay. <laughs> but he wasn't playing. All right. Um, well, how... This was closer than I think some would have predicted it. Southampton started off pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, got Chelsea into one or two sort of good situations where they could have taken advantage of. Didn't do it. I mean, Gabby Adini started, which was quite strange for me because Charlie Austin has been scoring goals. And uh, as soon as he came on for Gabby Adini, he had one effort saved and he poked another one wide. Uh, so in 20 minutes, he had two chances. Um, but... Chelsea were comfortable and created some good chances. And then when Fabregas and Morata came on, I mean, it could have been three or four. Right. So um, they'll take the one nil. Alonso felt Forster should have got it, but yeah. no. Chelsea, as they always do, they 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 definitely find a way to to win, whether it's Hazard or or Alonso or or Willian. And they're a they're a very strong unit, Chelsea. And the teams just above them in second place, Man United, also with victories. I mentioned two one against West Brom. Uh, Dan R says how is it possible to discuss the greatest Premier Leagues of all time and not mention any Man United sides because we were doing this kind of Man City other the greatest ever you know? and we talked about Arsenal and Chelsea and we even mentioned Milan you know back in the 90s and Mourinho's Inter and he says uh, Man United teams belong in this discussion the teams that actually won the title and in the case of 99 and 08, the only Premier League teams to win both the title and the Champions League, and later to be de- declared best teams in the world by winning the Intercontinental Cup or World Club Cup. Is it a wind-up? Ignorance? Hatred of Man United? <laughs> I, uh, yeah. My favourite Manchester United team was a, the 94 team. OK. Um, the, the second team to win the title. Just so much pace and aggression. They were the, the absolute ideal of everything that Ferguson wanted his team to be. So um, many alpha males in that team oh, as well. Yeah. And talking to, talking to the former players, certainly the younger ones who came into the setup at that time wow that was an unforgiving dressing room big wow. drinking club as well there There's was that yeah, stories but... about people being sent to get the, the drinks in and it was like uh, 22 pints of lager and a glass of champagne for Eric <laughs> like, and that's just straight after training <laughs> right down the pub they were they were brilliant team they were my favourite but would they against City that's the question that's what Dan Arwood the game's changed so much now um 
got more fierce. <laughs> it really has. Mm. What, what really about has. the the 08 team though for Manchester United? Because mm. you can draw a very easy comparison. They they knocked out Barcelona in the semi-finals of, comp- of that competition, mm. the Champions League that year, by drawing nil nil away at the the Camp Nou, and then going to Old Trafford and winning one nil at Paul Scholes' goal. And you know, even Sir Alex Ferguson probably would have admitted that over those two legs, Barcelona were were the ones who were you know dominating position possession creating chances but that United team found a way because of their tactical discipline because of their strength in defence um, obviously Skull scored a great goal which helps but uh, you know I, I think that Manchester United team in terms of being a tactically sophisticated side would have had a chance against this Manchester City team and it and it you can sort of see how they would have, they would go about approaching that sort of match because that was a very similar Barcelona side in style to this current City team. Mm. Interesting. Uh, how do you think Bristol City are going to do against Man United this Wednesday in the League Cup quarterfinals, Chris? Having an outstanding season, uh, Bristol City, um, stuck by Lee Johnson last year when the natives were were pretty restless. Yeah, I mean, uh, how how remarkable was their loyalty to him? Because the the numbers were pretty unforgiving at the yeah, time. Yeah, they were. And when you look at what happens with championship managers, it was nearly half got rid of their managers last year. Mm. So um, it shows when an owner uh, believes in the manager and believes in what he's trying to do. Obviously, there, there's a big change at, at Bristol as a city. Um, with sport, I mean, they're, they're investing a lot of money into the football and rugby, etc. So uh, they stuck by him um, and they're, they're playing a certain way. It's almost without a number nine at times. They've got Jamie Patterson and Bobby Reid, um, who are both very small, very slight, very clever players um, in a 4-4-2. So they're almost like two withdrawn number nines. But they're playing ever so well, especially at home. It's going to be a real test for United. So... Um, Good luck to them because they've, mm. they've earned the right. They're, I would think they'll finish in the top six, get in the playoffs. Um, very strong, all over, strong spine. And um, if they keep it up, yeah, they, they could make a name for themselves and uh, and beat United. You did Bristol City last week in the we Totally did, Football yeah. League show. What's your conclusion? Um, yeah, they're a really good side. It's all the more incredible because the two seasons previous, they've kind of been held up by outstanding goal scorers and Tammy Abraham and Jonathan Codger. Mm. Um, and obviously, they've lost both of those. I think they only won one of their first five this season. And their form over the last six, eight weeks has been outstanding. It really depends what kind of team Mourinho puts out, what right. kind of mindset they're in. Um, but if they're, you know, if they are off the pace, if they don't take it seriously, Bristol City could do them. The other League Cup quarterfinals, oh, Man City are at Leicester. Yikes. Uh, Arsenal host West Ham and Chelsea take on Bournemouth. That's interesting. Uh, we haven't, t- there's two games we haven't mentioned yet from the weekend. Can you name them, Chris? Bournemouth, Liverpool. Exactly. Because I missed it. Oh, did you miss it? <laughs> I did. I was trying to goals after? I, uh, no, I haven't, I haven't seen him because oh. I was covering the West Brom Manchester United game. I was travelling home, so I listened to it. Right, OK. <laughs> yeah. And Brighton, Burnley. Brighton, Burnley, which was less mm. exciting. Yeah, yeah, so nil nil that miss, one. Didn't miss much there. No, but the Liverpool ah, oh, it was Liverpool back to, you mm. know, now that now that Jurgen Klopp's learnt his lesson about team selection. <laughs> he, Here he, we go. He just left money out the side this time. And why did they suffer just the just the four nil? Uh, did you see this, Ian? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there was some. They look fantastic again, Liverpool. They they, they kind of switch back on again. Mm. 
Yeah, you thought when, when Coutinho hit that free kick and it just sort of kissed the inside of the post and came back across the goal mouth and you thought, oh, it's going to be one of those days for him, isn't it? And then Coutinho launches his Diego Maradona impression, just cutting through everybody. Um, and that was it. Bournemouth yeah. barely threatened. I think Defoe hit the post and that was oh, it. I was just about to mention that because I kept saying if that went in, it could have been a different game, but... Because it's 4-1. Yeah. <laughs> yeah just to be fair, Very different. Liverpool had a bunch of chances as well. There was a... Mm. I mean, Salah seemed to... He's, he's like he's kind of a, a magnet for defenders and he just kind of runs around the box with them trailing behind him. <laughs> and he eventually got one in uh, despite the close attention. I'm not sure who. I think it was Charlie Daniels, wasn't it? I think it was, who then again, went off. half the team. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Daniels and Joshua King both going off injured so Bournemouth with one or two problems there Ian I was very interested to hear Jurgen Klopp say afterwards that he he needs this team to find more consistency because mm. isn't this the sort of Liverpool that we saw last year drawing at home against teams you'd expect them to, to beat like West Brom yeah. and then going to Bournemouth and doing that this to me is a very similar Liverpool to last year Um the defence has improved, hasn't it, as well, actually. You know, the, the start of the season, certainly away from home, that was mm. a big question mark and things seem to have settled down there, despite the fact, obviously, I think we've talked about it before, their, their home defence has been has been very good all season. But, yeah, I just wonder I just wonder just how much they have developed this year. And, and you know, I, I just feel like Klopp's saying that they need to be more consistent. Um, I think he's hitting, obviously, it's his team and you'd expect him to do that, but I think he's hitting the nail on the head there. No. Fair enough. Who are they facing this weekend? Liverpool? Uh, Arsenal. Arsenal on the Friday night. Oh, wow, that's huge. Mm. Obviously, that's huge, James. <laughs> Thanks for that. Uh, so, Ars- at Arsenal. Yes. Mm. And, uh, and those games are usually pretty tasty. Yeah, and, and Liverpool, I should say, Liverpool have conceded 17 goals on the road. Um, but not so mostly much of late. against yeah. Mostly against big teams. Right. Which I guess we can still include Arsenal as, particularly at the Emirates where they're almost flawless that's yeah. huge um, yeah we'll find out a lot about Liverpool here but I think ultimately they, they make too many individual mistakes and I don't really want to single out the people again oh. but we know where they are um, they need upgrades in a couple of positions they're not that far off and this, there has been a little bit of hysteria possibly just from mischievous supporters of rival teams um, but Klopp's Liverpool are they're a decent side can you I know, say it's they, mischievous what have I said? Mischievous. I've been getting that wrong for years. Yeah, it's mischievous. Yeah, we'll add that to the rack. Coutinho's an issue as well, isn't he? It's yeah. Coutinho, yeah. <laughs> Not Coutinho. Yeah. The totally pedantic show. <laughs> well, yeah, you say it, James. No, you said it right. I was agreeing with you. I thought oh, you were okay. correcting Ian. No, no, I was, I was saying Coutinho. Oh, what did you say? Coutinho. Coutinho yeah. um, is an issue for them as well. I, I'd be very surprised if he was still at Liverpool next this time next season. Mm. Um, I don't think he'll go in January, but um, it does feel to me like that's going to come to a head at the end of the campaign. Fair enough, but then, of course, football is full of surprises. Tweet us at The Totally Football Show. Find us on Facebook and check us out at thetotallyfootballshow.com. If you were excited by uh, Ian's Bristol City chat earlier, you'll be delighted to know there's a whole show full of that kind of thing. It's called the Totally Football League show, but then you knew that. What are you going to be discussing 
in Tuesday's edition, Ian. We're going to be joined by Ali and George from the Not The Top 20 podcast. Okay. Um, and we're going to be discussing... Sounds appropriate uh, for anything from our... Oof. <laughs> <laughs> they were nominated as well. Were they? Uh, yeah, FSF Awards. Oh, were they? So, you know, okay. we've, we've got that in common. Uh, we're going to be talking about Sheffield Wednesday, having a real hard time of it at the moment, beaten at home by Wolves right. and very much at the wrong end of the table. We'll also take a look at Blackburn, who just keep winning games. Uh, Matt Stanger was up there at the weekend. And we'll have a little look at Crew as well, because they actually won a game. I was you, a bit worried about them. Are you going to salute Sunderland, who after 21 matches, four <laughs> managers and 364 days got their first home win. Yes, and a special mention to the Sunderland Echo reporter who had spent a year in the job without writing about a home win at the Stadium of Light as wow. well. So okay. it's been and a of course they got it time. against Chris Coleman's former club, Fulham. Yes, they did. Funny Fulham, another works. big, well-fancied team struggling this season. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's possible. I mean, Sunderland are out of the drop zone now. It's possible. They might just make it. Here's some questions. We're busy with kind of virtual postbag today, Ian. I think it's to do with the guests. Also, Star Wars. A lot of people writing in saying, Star Wars, what's it like? Is stocking full of Mark Cole saying, is Last Jedi better than Crystal Skull? Which is a, it's a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> not this again, James. No, let's not go there. There's, there's, a, there's an appropriate place you can find out what I think, but... I, yeah, I think that uh, it's interesting uh, on the issue of Star Wars how the, <laughs> the critics' reviews have been pretty much all excellent with the exception of the one that I was involved in. and But the public has been very mixed on it. I side with the public on this. But y- if you want, there, there is a podcast where we discuss all of this. Man of the people. Yeah, very much. <laughs> very much. Uh, Tom Banyard's got a question. Jimbo, can you ask Chris Powell if I saw him walking his dog wearing his Derby County jacket last week? If so, how did you manage to keep hold of the jacket? Was that you, Chris? <laughs> it certainly was me, yes. Right. And, what uh, else did you take from Derby? You, you shouldn't <laughs> say the kit man will be ringing me. Really? Uh, no, just took my coat and boots. And, Is it one uh, of those laptop. ones that goes down to the ankle? Is it one of those? Oh, not a full Arsene Wenger no. blanket coat. No, it's not okay. one of those, but uh, keeps me warm. Does Definitely. it? Well, that's 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 important. Very much so. <laughs> Producer Ben's just got very excited. He said, "Did you ever walk the dog uh, with Nigel Pearson, who, of course, had that incident with dogs <laughs> in the Carpathian Mountains? You're familiar with the incident, yeah? I, I very much so. Yeah, he told me the whole story. Did he? Uh, yes, he did. Yeah. And um, you, you no, say I've never like walked he's my some dog kind of latter day Phil Brown. You don't mean that he's the, the incident really happened, did it? Did anyone ever document yeah. it? In fact, that's one of the questions I have about the wild dogs in." in the Carpathian Mountains thing. Do we only have Nigel's word for it? I think we had a few leads on it, didn't we? Oh. <laughs> it definitely happened. I've got to move on from that, Ian. It definitely happened. Oh, Sorry. yes. Yeah. Sorry, Chris, uh, I've bowled you over. <laughs> That's, Seriously. Yeah. Um, you described earlier somebody as the most misunderstood manager. I can't think who it was. Who was Sven. It? Oh, Sven, yeah. Mm. But is Nigel Pearson, is he a misunderstood man he, as well? He trumps Sven for me. Does he? Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. because Nigel is uh, scary. He, he's, he's very well read. Yes, he's a very intelligent man. Um, Can scary he... to many many a journalist. Um, doesn't enjoy that side of things. Which you talking know, to journalists. Which is well, we, no, we've seen sure. it. We, we've seen it. Mm. Um, knows his football. Very good coach. Very good man manager, especially with staff. But. I think he's misunderstood. Has he ever? Has he ever just, like, apropos of nothing, just had a conversation about the perfect way to like get rid of a dead body or something like that? <laughs> like, <laughs> I've never had that in. conversation with him, no. Yeah. But uh, you know, when you look at his CV, his footballing CV as a manager, um, 
he should still be managing here. He's in the Belgium second division mm. at the moment. For um, the club that, that the uh, Shiverdana Pravo zone. Well played. The, yeah. Well done. Yeah, I just know him as top, the, the, the son, <laughs> and that is true. Right. Uh, the son is known as top, and yes, they own a club in Belgium, and... Um, they asked Nigel to manage him, and he's out there at the moment, sort of reinventing himself. How's he doing? Started off really well. They've just hit a bit of a sticky patch, um, and the Belgian league is a bit... There's a lot of playoffs and two leagues, and oh, I've got a feeling they're not going to make the playoffs this year. I'm not entirely certain. I've got a feeling he's going to get offered a job, as indeed we hope will you, Chris, Yeah. in one of these, because it's going to be vacancies galore. Yeah, I think he'll I be think. back this season. Something tells me he'll mm. be back at uh, a big championship club. Like a pottery-type club, do you think? Oh, I didn't even think of them. <laughs> Did you not? No. Right. But now no, I will. OK. Hey, here's Paul with a really tough question. Just the kind of question that you should not spring on your guests kind of towards the end. <laughs> of a, and in actual fact, yeah, Paul says, what was your favourite and least favourite footballing moment of 2017? Boom. I thought the saddest moment was Claudio Ranieri coming to an end and the saddest bit being that it, it had to come to an end as well mm. um, it was absolutely the right decision but having been there you know through the the back end of that run and been in Leicester and you know been there in the street with thousands of people celebrating that night it was you know kind of the story coming to a very very somber yeah. end but he's doing really well now so that's all right it's got nonce in fourth fifth well they were I must admit I didn't check what happened to them this weekend because they'd they'd fallen away a little bit fifth they're fifth now. Yeah. All right. There you go. I've got a moment. Okay. I don't know whether it's best or worst as such, but it's certainly probably the most bizarre moment of the year. And that was Pep Guardiola going onto the field <laughs> to speak to Nathan Redmond. I still haven't got my head around that. I still can't make my mind up whether it was okay or not okay, um, exactly what he was trying to achieve. I, I, I just haven't got my head around that at all. It still, to me, feels like the most bizarre moment I've seen in a long time on a football pitch. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with you too much there. Chris, anything off the top of your head in a positive or negative fashion that's Re- stuck with you? Redemption for Spurs in the Champions League. Right. Um, the Real Madrid that, game? Yeah. yeah. I mean, they were awful last year Yeah, uh, against Monaco, who many people didn't realise how good they were last mm. year compared to this year. Again, though? <laughs> um, again, I mean, they were really poor last year. But to beat Madrid and Dortmund mm. in, in, a, in a league that uh, everyone expected them to finish third. Yeah, um, I mean that is some highlight for for them as a club, and mm. uh, it was the moment they've kind of arrived in the Champions League. I think everyone else has had a moment in the Champions League. Uh, I think Manchester City will have their moment this year, the way they're going. Um, I, th- I think, uh, yeah. To be fair, Spurs had had a, a moment or two involving Gareth Bale against Inter in, in the Champions League, home and away. Yeah. But no, this was absolutely huge. But it, whenever I think of Spurs in the Champions League, I just think of Mycon. Mycon, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I felt for him that night. I really did. I really felt for him because it kind of ended his career. He's yeah. such a good player. Uh, more attacking and defensively over the years for for Roma and uh, in Italy, but. Um, yeah, taxi for Mycon. Is this yeah. first yeah. evidence of like you know like you got the goalkeepers' union? Is this like the fullbacks' union <laughs> that we've never heard of before? Oh, there's always a fullbacks' <laughs> union because uh, even Charlie Daniels yesterday against Mo Salah, he had a tough time, and I, I kind of felt for him a bit because <laughs> Salah is just on fire at the moment. He went mm. off of a muscular problem that tells you everything. You yeah, need absolutely. To know about it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's natural though that you identify because you understand the, the problems of your respective role. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think you always, especially when you become a coach and a manager, mm. 
you tend to gravitate initially to the positions that you know. So you, you like your defence and your fullbacks to be strong and maybe in the image of yourself. Yeah, and then you look at your, your midfielding strikers. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you tend to understand their, the way they see the game. I mean, you, you look at it for 24 years. I played for a long time. You see the game from the left back, so you see it front facing. You right. don't always see it from a centre forward who's got his back to goal. So you have to learn that. So as a coach, you actually learn other players' positions as well. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. We've got a, it's various other questions here about uh, Italy, which I tell you what, we will save those for Thursday, uh, particularly the ones talking about Roma and potential title challenges because, Ian, it's ever so tight at the top in Serie A. Very tight. We'll talk about that on on Thursday. Chris, was there anything you wanted to ask me before we <laughs> before we conclude? Yes, uh, I I can admit to a man crush on you, James. Oh. I've been married for a long time. Okay, so not it's a okay. problem. And um, I fell in love with Italian football because of you, and I fell in love with Parma. Oh yeah. Now Parma yes. had Asprilia. Yes. Zola. Uh huh. Taffarel. Yes. Benarivo. Mm-hmm. But I need to remember. I can't remember. The two centre backs and one was red hair. Oh, Apolloni. Apolloni. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And the other guy was called, and he was a really nice guy, tall fella. Yes. Because they had Alberto de Chiara. Yes. But that wasn't him. Oh, what was the guy? Minotti. Lorenzo Minotti. Yes. There you go. I didn't want to look online. I know you can you you can find out on various sort of websites. You can do, can't you? But that was quite Apolloni. a team. Ah. Oh, that's why I fell in love with Italian they, football. They brought in Massimo Crippa to just mess yeah. people up. In, in, <laughs> he was evil, man. This seems an appropriate moment as oh. well. One of my best friends is is a bona fide AC Milan fan oh, who right. grew up in Oldham based on, on James's broadcast. Wow. Yeah. It was yeah. largely about the Italian football, but I was a part of it. Uh, anyway. <laughs> There's a podcast that you can now subscribe to. Oh, can you now subscribe to I it? I believe it's live on iTunes right. now. That's with, brilliant. With so we don't actually little... have to make the podcast. No, no, we'll just keep the trailer on. <laughs> okay, totally Football cool. League show went to number two without doing a single episode. All right, and what happened after you started doing the episodes? Yeah, not so good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, that's enough of all that kind of thing. Let's conclude by getting the odds from Paddy Power with Ian McIntosh. Mr. Paddy Power, how are you? I'm doing wonderful. How are you getting on? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you very much. we got movers and shakers today. Um, not much moving at the top of the table, though, is there? Not really. Now, what are they, about 11 points clear now, is it? Yeah, city? 14 points briefly, now down to a mere 11. Um, what could I get on them to go unbeaten for the whole season? With City, when the, when the other teams do falter behind them, it must make them just... Like the players themselves, although they'll be taking it week to week and one game at a time, they must know that they've pretty much won the league already. Um, so I'd say they're a shorter price now. I think last week when we were talking about this, they were about 11 to 5. They've beaten Spurs, which was a possibly a banana skin, but as it turned out, they were just not in the same parish. So I think they're still going to be a touch of odds against, but they're only going to be like a 6 to 5 or something like that to go the season unbeaten, which if you think about it, is like just... It's ridiculously short odds because we're, like, we're not even at Christmas. I mean, it was a shock to see how far off their level Tottenham were. And they're now in seventh. They're behind Burnley. Uh, what odds on Spurs finishing outside of the top five? 
I always thought Spurs actually had their blip and they're back from their blip and they're back on and up. As it as it turns out, they're just they are struggling a little bit. And I wonder. I don't. I, it doesn't feel like their fixtures have been, have been that disastrous. And I guess when you look at them, they lost two of their last five, I think, isn't it? So it's not disaster, but uh, their odds against to finish. There would have been odds on to finish the top four about four or five weeks ago. Now their odds against are seven to four. They're uh, rather five to four top four. So the odds on to be like twos on to finish outside the top four. So I'd say to finish outside the top five. Maybe three to one. This is I'm, I'm totally plugging it out of the air now. Lads. Three to this year, putting my odds compilations to test, but hopefully you won't go back to bite me at the end of the season. Going to hold you to this. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Huddersfield, they hadn't scored a goal away from home for ages, and then they've gone off and absolutely battered Watford. Odds on them staying up must be uh, pretty decent now. Well, they're very short. Yeah, I mean they're they're three to one to go down, which means they're about one to five to stay up. So it means they're like they're like seventy five percent likely or eighty percent likely to to stay up now, which is uh, which is good news for them. And the and the better news for them is that there's a load of rubbish around them at the wrong end of the table. There's a load of rubbish teams down there who are going to really struggle. So they have to be extra bad. Uh, Swansea are, are really in trouble. West Brom as well. They're in trouble too. They well, they scored a couple, scored a goal in the end, but they they haven't scored scored many. Newcastle are rubbish. I mean, they're, like they're all. There's a good few teams down there. So Huddersfield, I think, can be not. They won't be sitting on their laurels, but they certainly have it in them to be safe. Definitely. Well, I tell you, I thought Celtic winning the Scottish title was probably the safest thing in the world, but then that happened. That four nil defeat to Hearts. What can you get on Celtic to to miss out to not actually win the title for once? Well, they're one to sixty-six to win it, thirty-three to one or something like not to win it. I mean, it's, you should be getting a thousand to one, really. I'm embarrassed to tell you, it's only thirty-three to one for them not to win the league. Uh, can you imagine though? Was one of these collapses? No, you just imagine. <laughs> I really can't. I think a thousand yeah. to one might be nearer. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com. Eighteen plus only, of course. BeGambleAware.org. And remember, when the fun stops, stop. Thank you, Ian. And that's what we're going to do right now, because that's the end of this Totally Football show. Chris, thank you so much for coming uh, here today. You're off to do your school Christmas fair, is that right? I'm handing out the uh, sports awards Ah. at my old school. I haven't been back for 30 years. No way, you've not set foot and you're going back today? Yes. That's going to be so... I mean, that's that's going to be amazing. And I found my old school tie, (gasps) which I'm going to bring. Brilliant. So um, wear it round your head. Uh, it won't be a good look. Yeah. <laughs> Not at my age, but um, yeah, I'm going back to say a few words and yep. um, hand out some awards. So uh, yeah, interesting. All right, excellent. Ian, are you doing anything interesting later today? Yeah, we're talking to the fans around the world on Fanzone. On Fanzone, Premier League HQ. We'll have input from Africa, um, Australasia, South America. You name it, it's incredible. It blows your mind. It, it, it's going to blow my mind tomorrow because I'm going to be doing it then. Woof! <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and Ian? Uh, we're going to go off and talk to a nice man from Gimlet about Italia 90 in a minute. Oh, really? What, yeah. the World Cup? Yeah, we're reminiscing. Um, so look out for that in, uh, in a few months' time. Well, whatever you're doing, listeners, do it safely. Enjoy Christmas responsibly, and we'll see you on Thursday. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddyneesmedia.com.